if you're a girl without a daddy, based on my conversations with mother, my fear and thought is that it is harder to believe that because why would you believe in something you can't see when that which you can see has already let you down? It would yeah. be doubly hard for that. And I, I, I guess my advice to girls without daddies on that point is fake it till you make it because yeah. you won't see God until you give him a chance to show himself to you. Why do some women seem to have it all together, whereas others seem to be more like a butterfly trying to survive a tornado? Author Cindy McPike observes there is often a common thread pulling through the fabric that weaves the behaviors of women into consistent patterns, whether directive or destructive. One of these threads can be the presence or absence of a supportive father or father figure in the adolescent lives of women. Author Cindy McPike, in her book, Girls Without Daddies, Filling the Void of a Fatherless Childhood, identifies the common struggles and the transformation that is possible on the path towards emotional health. Join this conversation as host Melody Campbell interviews author Cindy McPike, and they discuss what she has learned on her journey from struggling with coping mechanisms that keep her trapped as a victim to learning to understand her own personal worth and how she developed healthy communications of her own needs. Well, good afternoon. Uh, We are here today with author Cindy McPike to discuss her book, Girls Without Daddies, Filling the Void of a Fatherless Childhood. And I'm really excited about today's uh, topic. It's from chapter 19, Faith as a Tool. And honestly, Cindy, I hope, I hope you've got more of what we just talked about because that was really good, but it was not recorded. <laughs> so, and I, maybe I'll just start with where, where I started when, you know, when, before we were recording um, and, we, and I wanted to make sure I understood the intent behind this chapter. Um, what is your, what, what's your gift to the reader from this chapter? My gift, boy, that sounds kind of arrogant to me, but I know you didn't mean it that way. No. (laughs) Uh, The message that I would like the reader to leave with is there is, and again, we kind of elaborated on this, we'll go into it into the chapter, but I learned this from Mother, who is the head of the convent that I mentioned in my book, but she has found that... um, when women try to join the convent, when they come from a broken home, they don't work out um, as, as, as a general rule. Now she's generalizing, so I don't want to discourage anybody from that path if, if they have that in their heart, because all things are possible. But she said that it, it you know, it saddened her because the women that um, didn't have a loving father in life had a harder time connecting with God. Uh, that's the loving father that they were missing. So my, what I would like, and from that, I want women that didn't have that here 
physically on earth to know that they can still have that here on earth with and what we'll call the creator or God or whatever it is to whoever is listening um, that you can have that and it, it was interesting to me because for me I was different in that I didn't have it here on earth physically with my father or my stepfather I somehow was able to push through the rhetoric and dogma of the religion that I was introduced to and still find that I could lean on God uh, or Jesus or the creator and have that kind of a sense of nurturing. So to me, it was interesting that she found that a lot of girls without daddies struggled with that. So my goal is to help with that struggle and get them through to that because that is the perfect example of a loving father. The title is Faith as a Tool, but then you go into a little bit of an introduction of uh, your introduction to religion. So kind of make that differentiation. All right. So the, the difference between, in my mind, being faithful and being religious. So we talked um, about religion. Religion is the organized dogma of man. And I am not a fan of any sort of dogma. I am not a fan of anything that is intended to control me through fear. And I think that, uh, as I mentioned, the origins of religion were suggested by, I believe, C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity to go back to the caveman days where you were uh, taught not to take your fellow man's woman or food because there was this higher power that could see all things. So one man controlled his fellow man through that fear and then evolved the medicine doctor and then it evolves into ultimately, you know, you've got the entire Catholic religion. But for me, religion is, you know, the, it, it, ideally religion would be non-existent, but what would you would have is people coming together to share their love for one another and for God and to lift each other up and fellowship. But, and, and often you do have that in a church. So I don't wanna paint a blanket over all churches. I've been to some wonderful churches. I've also been to some where I've been sitting in there and I've heard one parishioner say, well, that's the problem with the world because they're sinners. And I'm like, uh, you know, we are everyone in this church. <laughs> yeah. Like, we are also part of the world here, even though we are within the, the boundaries of the walls of a church, we are no better than all these other people. So that's the kind of a, a judgment that comes out of religion sometimes. So like when my son's father um, decided that he didn't love me anymore and we went to the church and uh, the everybody at the church was so upset with him, you know, and they would come up and talk to me. It's so wrong what he's doing. You know, I had a little baby in my arms and, you know, I don't disagree with that. But, you know, my, my thought on it at the time was it's not like the man set out to destroy his life and mine, you know, He's mm -hmm. clearly making some, some decisions right now that we are all going to pay for for the rest of our lives. And there's nothing that I can do about it. And yes, that's <clears throat> unfortunate for me and unfortunate for my son and unfortunate for him. Mm -hmm. But to suppose that he is 
you know, that he has just decided to go, it's not that simple. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. People make decisions to try to survive, which ultimately involve many times slitting their own wrists mm. um, because they don't realize the implications of their survival tendencies. Mm-hmm. So anyway, back to the, the whole idea of religion. I would like to segregate our conversation, and that's what I try to do in the book, is, is denote religion with these examples of like with my stepfather trying to get us to become Catholic and being willing to annul his marriage from which he had his first four children oh. to be able to remarry my mother in the church or the nuns escorting me and my sister out of the church because my sister disagreed with the nun. These, this is all noise and and stuff. And if you want to hide from knowing a father or knowing a loving creator, you can look at those things and say, ah, religion, I don't need it. And that's true. But there is something about this loving father, especially for girls without daddies, but really for all people. Mm -hmm. And that gets me to uh, something else that, you know, I had mentioned briefly, which is my new favorite book, uh, the physics of God, and so excited. I mean, I I actually read it about a year ago, but I, I even now, as I think about it, uh, for me, it explains kind of the difference between the, like what a two dimensional universe, where really a creator might exist, and that the three dimensional universe that we live in is really a more simplistic universe. And that's why we can't really comprehend the things beyond this universe, because this really is, you know, it, it's the, the, the three-dimensional aspect of it makes it more simple. So you've heard, for example, that the theories that we could all be living in, playing out a hologram, that none of this really exists, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that there could be some intelligent beings that are like watching us through a glass ball and we're in this three-dimensional universe i don't think that that's not what my personal belief is but when i take that and i look at it and i say how easy would it be for a creator to that exists in a two-dimensional plane to create a three-dimensional universe and then you think well does god care on a micro level versus a macro level, you know? So you're asking God, help me get this job. Does he care? If you imagine the strings of a two dimensional universe, which would be entirely more complex because it's flattened and simple, but yet more complex, that could string through the three. I mean, it would be the, the blink of an eye and you could have that job. It would be the 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 flick of a finger and you would win the lottery i mean yes he could see every de the detailed mm. and the macro and he could be omniscient all-knowing and all-present because he's literally woven in and out of our simplistic three-dimensional universe mm. and so then when you pass on from this universe you know what would the next step be in that so like for me it's like how fascinating will it be for my consciousness to leave the simplicity of this three-dimensional world? And then will I still be woven into it? Like, will I still know and, and be aware of what's going on or what, you know, why am I even here? Am I here so that I can grow 
and understand. So then, and I know I'm babbling, but I, I kind of have to do that to get my whole point across. No, so I, get, I get it. About, you think about angels, right? God created angels. And, you know, the whole thing theoretically about how he favored man over angels, you know, and the angels are like, why do you love them? Love them. They're so ridiculous. And then there's the whole thing with Satan, the fallen angel and all of that, right? But you think about that and you think, if you created a being without free will or free choice or any of its own life experiences independent of you, that would be like you or I creating our own clone. How interesting would that be for us? It would be like the most boring conversation mate ever, right? <laughs> Everything that you know, they know. I mean, uh, you know, so yeah, if you were, you would want to create something so that like that, that there's some compassion and some understanding that, that they have experienced loss and pain. And so that's why, like they say, when you, you know, when you pass on, if I don't know if you've ever read, there's a wonderful little book called High on Heinz Feet. It's, mm, it's yeah. a book. Have you read it? And yeah, Heinz, uh, yeah, Heinz Feet on High or something like that. Yeah, I've read it. It's an allegory. Yes. And, you know, it's like the everything that that person went through here becomes her, her all of the hardships here become her crown of emeralds and rubies and diamonds. Yes. But the, the idea there is it's not that you're really going to be in heaven with a crown of emeralds, rubies, and thorns, but you are going to be so much more of everything because your understanding has been expanded by the hardships that you had here. How much mm -hmm. more interesting, and, the, and I'll give you an, another allegory or an, another analogy is, uh, of that. I used to, I dated a guy many, many years ago, and he told me that he always found that the women that in high school that were the ugly ducklings, uh, you know, that ultimately blossom, I'll call myself an ugly duckling, uh, presuming that I did blossom, I think I did, but his point was, we they, all were, did. they were so much more interesting than the pretty girls, because the pretty girls had everything handed to them because yeah. they were pretty. And so he, 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 take that and compare that to how a creator might feel about the people arriving in heaven. The more interesting people are going to be the ones that had the greater challenges. So really, uh, you, when you look at what is life all about, is it is it about growing and surviving these challenges and becoming an interesting person? Possibly. Is it about, uh, you know, giving back? Like if you, if you can make it through this entire existence on this planet, and this is something that I'm kind of currently debating, as you know, I'm trying to become more of a minimalist with material things. And as I've done that, I'm starting to ponder, gosh, am I really giving back enough to society? I don't know that I am. And I'm starting to feel like I should, you know, I, I always have felt that way, but you know what I mean? It become it's, it's moving up in a pressing need for me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not because, oh, I want to buy my way into heaven or because God expects me to do this. It's just because I should, right? Mm -hmm. If you get mm -hmm. to the point where you can, you should. Yeah. Um, and it, it's not a, the dogma of giving back or anybody that has this much should do that. It's just, 
what's life about? Is it, are you here just to accumulate things and show off how successful you are? Or, you know, are you here to reach down into the ditch and pull a little kitten out and give him a bath? And you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So that's a lot of talking. I'll let you ask another question. No, but. well, and I just want to kind of elaborate on some of the things that you said. And so the, the last thing specifically where you're talking about giving back, the way you describe it sounds like, um, like if you, if you planted, um, let's say zucchini, I was going to say watermelon, but I think zucchini, zucchinis, oh my gosh, if you plant them in the right ground, you know, right soil with the right amount of sun, you have to give zucchini away or you will become completely sick of it because that zucchini plant just, it, it, it was designed to produce. Yeah. So as a human being, um, part of who we are is to give to each other. That just, we're, so we cut, it's like we cut off part of our natural um, design if we don't give back to each other. Um, does that make sense? Is that kind of where you were going? Where like, it's just like, it's the, you, know, you, you first you, you make a vine, then you make a flower, then you have a zucchini. And if you just have a vine and then a flower and then stop, you're not doing your full job as a zucchini plant. And it gets kind of stinky with rotten zucchini. Yes. Mushy I mean, rotten zucchini, yeah. Well, and I mean, that that's what happens to some of us if we want to use the word souls. You know, if all we do is, is eat our own zucchini, um, you know, it, it can get kind of stinky, right? Because there's more zucchini around. I, I like your analogy i think that we are built as you say to be a zucchini plant mm -hmm. um i don't know that the that you know we're obviously beyond the zucchini plant and that we we have some sense that we should be doing that we have a, a sense of guilt when we don't we have a sense of of fulfillment when we do mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's in our DNA to do all of that. And because we're on such a higher level, we, th we have a thought about not only producing the zucchini, but what happens to the zucchini after it's produced. So that's that higher level of thought. But it's in our DNA to pr produce enough, f more than enough. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And then... Um, I wanted to, um, and let's see if I can go back to exactly what you were talking about with this, but the difference between faith in a creator versus um, a religion. So maybe initially um, religion was created, you know, just so everybody had their boundaries. You know, you can't take my food, you can't take my house, you can't take my wife or my husband. Um, but then it became, well, I want your stuff <laughs> and mine. So, you know, and then it became about, about having power over the whole community and rising to the top. Um, so when you're asking the girl without a daddy to consider faith as a tool, don't confuse knowing that there is an intelligent higher power that created you because it, it, it seems like it would be impossible to have, uh, to be, to evolve from something that's not any kind of an intelligent design to, to be what we consider ourselves. We're, we're intelligent. We're more intelligent than, 
you know, a dog or a cat or a zucchini plant, to make that distinction that there is this, there's a creator that we can pull back to. And this, I think, goes to what we talked about before we started the recording. And I would love for you to talk more about this, to go back to this creator and, and ask for his, her, whatever the combination of that is, intervention in our lives because of what's happening at the, at the micro level. Yeah, it's hard for me to remember what we talked about before or after. Uh, but. You were talking about him saying, or him, God, the creator saying, isn't my love enough for you? So talk, talk some more about that because it was, it was so good. Isn't my love enough for you? I don't remember that. I'm sorry. Why did I? <laughs> I, I wish I would have recorded it so I could I could edit around it. You know, um, you were talking about you know how we um, we we're, were all designed to to love each other um, and not make up these crazy rules, which ends up being organized religion, and that's just a way of. Um, controlling each other, but to come to the creator and, and find that loving father figure that some of us may have missed out on. And whether or not we did, we can come to this supreme being who potentially has the opportunity to intervene on our behalf because we're limited in this earth, but he might respond to us in such a way as to say, what, you know, why are you worried about your boss being, you know, a jerk to you? I am, I'm all you need. And love doesn't come from without you. It comes from within you. I've already, isn't my love enough for you? I've, I've already given you what you need. And then you talked about being in the armor, put on the armor of God as a protection against those attacks, but that the love is already there within us because of our creator. That's okay. my interpretation of <laughs> what you said. Yeah. Hopefully that was a good capture of it. Well, you brought your everything you said brought to get brought many thoughts to mind. Um, but the, the idea of the armor, what I was saying was that, you know, we're taught by the Bible to put on the armor <clears throat> when we go out into the world and that, you know, in our minds, that's like, you know, you think of it as a material shield. And, and in my mind, really what our armor is, is the, is the love of God. So that it's not a, a, a material shield that's going to magically bounce mean things off that people say to us. But like when you walk into a, a restaurant and the person in front of you is horribly rude to you, that armor is your love, the in love and understanding for what what might be happening in that person's life. So instead of <clears throat> receiving the negativity into your body and letting it affect you instead you're so whole that you don't register that as having anything to do with you because it can't possibly have anything to do with you they were a dick when you walked into the restaurant yeah. <laughs> they were going to be a dick to whoever happened to be standing there it has nothing to do with you so when you're filled with God's love and acceptance, and you walk into that situation, you feel compassion for the person mm -hmm. because you're like, no, that doesn't mean you're going to stand there and let somebody rebuke you. As you know, I've told that old man in, in the post office, you need to just be quiet because <laughs> he was being really mean and there was no reason for it. So an armor doesn't mean that you absorb all the negativity of someone else and embrace them. 
you're allowed to stand up for yourself. It simply means that you don't personalize what is happening to you because it probably has nothing to do with you. 99% of the things that happen to us have nothing to do with us as people. When somebody is mean to us, they're usually doing it out of need or mm -hmm. some emergency. There are a few real mean people in the world who will just do mean things. Of course, you know, there are murderers, there are rapists, um, and those things affect you deeply. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the little nonsense in the world where somebody cuts you off while you're driving and they flip you off and your feelings are hurt. How could yeah. that possibly have anything to do with you? You should just smile at them, let them go in front of you, let them have their busy day and you smile and take a deep breath and don't personalize that. So to me, that's the armor of God. But I want to get back to, I think an important point of this chapter is whether or not you currently know the creator and, and as we discussed before, I'm going to call, I'm going to call it the creator, because for me, that works. God works. Jesus works. I use all these names. But when I think of creator, I, I feel like I'm taking it outside of a religious context. And we know, that to me, religion is dogma. Now, that's to me, I'm just saying, I acknowledge that's how my perception is, because of how I grew up in religion. But when I say creator, do you know when you close your eyes, do you feel like there is something there that loves you? If you're a girl without a daddy, based on my conversations with mother, my fear and thought is that it is harder to believe that because why would you believe in something you can't see when that which you can see has already let you down? It would yeah. be doubly hard for that. And I, I, I guess my advice to girls without daddies on that point is fake it till you make it because yeah. you won't see God until you give him a chance to show himself to you. And the only way he can show himself to you is if you give him a chance. Yeah. So like when I am trying to think of something just happened to me recently, I can't remember what it was. I was praying I was praying I was praying for what I thought I needed mm -hmm. right I didn't get what I thought I needed but when I got my answer I laughed because it was so much better than <laughs> what I thought I needed mm -hmm. and if I hadn't been praying and asking for it and had my mind open to it when I got what was better for me than what I had asked for, I would not have tied it together mm. and seen it. So my point here is, until you look, you shall not see. Yes. You oh. will still be the beneficiary of it, but you won't connect the dots. And so then it's just a mean, meaningless get in the physical three-dimensional world that we live in because you have not connected that gift to your loving father. And somebody could easily say, well, okay, that sounds nice. Every time something good happens, I thank God. And every time something bad happens, I think, what am I supposed to think? I'm learning something. You know, those are the tough questions that I don't have answers for. Why are there some people on this planet that don't have water that, you know, clean water to drink? 
you know, why are there children starving all over the place? Why would I sit here in the United States thinking that God did this great thing for me when he's got a whole world of people over here that are suffering, suffering miserably every day? What kind of God would create a world like that? I think that the, that's, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing where, again, we're looking at it myopically, right? Mm -hmm. Looking at a single situation, a single individual, and then there are macro levels of things. And then there are also, and I know I'm rambling, but there's also the way that we pray, right? Do we pray on a micro level or a macro level? So like normally, I find my prayers to be more micro. And when I was younger, I had this big philosophical debate in my life. Am I going to live a macro life or a micro life? Am I going to be like a President Trump that, you know, tries to, you know, save a whole country? Or am I just going to be that girl that maybe goes down to the homeless shelter once a week and yeah. serves food? And I, I pretty well accepted that just based on my nature, aside from this book, you know, that I'm more of a, a micro person. But I will tell you right now, as I watch what's happening in the world um, with, I'm going to go ahead and say the people that own the media running the whole United States right now, um, uh, my prayers have gone a little bit more macro, um, you know, for, for the country, for the insight of the average citizen for people to be think more critically um, for people to dismiss the propaganda that is promulgated as news right now mm -hmm. and to be more critical of the information that they receive you know i want them to be you know so you know that's where my prayers are going as i get older they're shifting to a little bit more of a macro sense you can tell that i don't have all the answers I have an infrastructure of faith. When I was younger, I did the biblical, what we were told biblically to do when we don't understand things, which is to accept that we aren't meant to understand everything. And as I've gotten older, that just doesn't really fly for me. Now, I, I understand that I cannot possibly comprehend the difference between theoretically, a three-dimensional and a two-dimensional universe and how they would interact. And the best example of that, and I, I don't remember if I put this in the book, and I, I can't remember what book it's from. It might be also from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. It could be from Christian Agnostic. I can't remember, but there's two dogs sitting out in the front yard. One of them has a cut on his leg. It's infected. He's looking at the other dogs there and they're looking at it and they're like, man, that does not look good, right? This is not good. Mm. And so, you know, they're pretty much, you know, dogs know infection. And, and anyway, after a little while, the owner comes out of the house, walks down the front porch steps, picks up the dog with the cut, takes it in the house, pours some hydrogen peroxide on it, puts a little Band-Aid on it, gives him a little antibiotics, takes the dog back out, lays him out feels so much better right and mm. the other dog says well what did he do and he goes i don't know it was magical <laughs> right <laughs> magical you know because their ability to comprehend things like hydrogen peroxide and cleaning a wound it, it just is beyond their comprehension so to them it's a miracle yeah. so if you if you look at the creator is so far beyond where we are 
you know, all these things are within that creator's capacity, particularly if we're in a kind of a, I don't want to say that this universe is a simulated three-dimensional universe. I'm just saying it's a more simplistic universe, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But how can we comprehend what our meaning is and what our, you know, intent is and, and what, how that will translate to the next phase of our life. But what I would like girls without daddies from the, to get from this chapter and from this podcast is there is something there that created us. Uh, the quote I think I put in the book is the likelihood of what has been created happening by chance is like an explosion in a library resulting in the formation of a dictionary. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to happen. And yeah. those, those of us that have studied, uh, you know, biology and chemistry, when you look at the structure, like the periodic chart of elements in the design and the beauty and, and the, the simplicity yet complexity of how the atoms and everything interact in the stability of those atoms, even such things as you know oxygen to water, it's miraculously simple and complex at the same time. Could that have evolved slowly over time into perfection? It could. Does that really make sense? that we would start with chaos and move to order would you start with order and do you start with order and move to chaos or do you start with chaos or move to order or is it this just fluctuating thing that could happen i don't know all i know is uh if you were to put the probability on what has been created being created by chance i certainly wouldn't put any of my money down on it yeah. And if you look at what's happening in the world now, and I'm not even sure if this is a good analogy, but I was just thinking, you know, there's a, a we see a lot more of order moving to chaos. Um, and who knows, maybe we're at the top, we got as far as we could get with our order, you know, moving from chaos to order, and now we're going back down the hill. Um, but it just, it, it, it doesn't play out, you know, in in um we it's it's not something that can be peer-reviewed you know what i mean you can't do it you can't play that out where you can take something from chaos to order and go okay yes this is this is a pattern that we should expect things don't move that way they tend to move the other way in fact one of the laws of th uh, thermodynamics i summarize by yeah. saying everything moves toward disorder yep you know condition is known as entropy so that you know that that's a law and mm -hmm wouldn't make sense for that law to work in reverse and for you to say nope we just came out of total chaos and here we are look how good we did <laughs> yeah but even that even that and i i say that just to kind of help girls without daddies you know kind of look at it that way but the reality of it is if you as a, a girl without a daddy don't know how to talk to a loving creator then try it mm -hmm. try it in your head try it and and do it faithfully and by faithfully i mean without knowing whether it's going to work mm -hmm. <laughs> that's faith right mm -hmm. i mean faith is not knowing but still believing and see if if nothing else and this is why the book is the, the chapter is titled as a tool mm 
if nothing else, it becomes a, a sort of meditation mechanism. Yes. You yes. to think through things with the purest example listening to you. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, without regard to whether you believe Jesus is the Son of God or 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 whatever, that what is written about the the man they called Jesus in the Bible is prophetic in that he is the ultimate example. And that's how we here in life get off track, right? We don't compare what we're doing to the ultimate shining example of right or wrong. We compare it to the last decision we've made. Mm. And then we compare the next decision to the last decision that we've made. And then when we're in, this has not happened to me, but then when we're pulled over on the side of the road, because we are drunk driving, we look and we say, how did I get here? Well, I started off never taking a sip of alcohol and driving. And then I said, no, you can have one drink. And then I moved it to two drinks. And then I kind of forgot about the rule altogether. Mm -hmm. That's the difference between looking at the perfect example. And so when you're, when you're having these, let's call them meditative thoughts, and you're talking to the perfect example, you can't help but realize when you're having a pity party. You know, so like how often have I started my prayers with, oh, Lord, just today was terrible. You know, this happened to me and that happened to me. And then by the time I'm done, I'm saying, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I'm, I look around at this beautiful home that you've given me and I've got a plenty of blankets on my bed at will I can get up and go to the refrigerator and fill my tummy mm-hmm. and I didn't just leave the doctor with a death sentence mm-hmm. um, and here I am complaining to you that the gal at Subway was so mean to me today and yeah. um, and it gives you perspective and balance as a meditative thought with the perfect example Oh, the, the, this perfect human being that you're talking to, right? Your, your illusion of a perfect human being. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to say is if you start that way, I believe that like me with time, that you will see the interactions with this three-dimensional world that we live in through those prayers and see evidence that this creator is there for you. You will see it. And it doesn't mean there won't be times where you, you know, cry your eyes out and and somebody could look at me easily and say, again, you know, and this is the conundrum. Uh, When the good things happen, you thank God. And when the bad things happen, you thank God for giving you a lesson, right? Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's not it. If the goal here on this planet is to be an interesting, compassionate companion in this utopia, of of uh, of consciousness with these you know afterward right mm-hmm. how how can you be that how can you enjoy that if you haven't had some hardships if you are the one that had the greatest hardships you know like the gallant high on the hind's feet you will be 
it, it won't be that there are hierarchies in my opinion, because to me, hierarchies in a universe that is a utopia would be the opposite of utopia, right? You're right back to climbing your way up the ladder and everything yeah. else, but that you will be able to better appreciate everything. And that is its own reward. So it's like, yeah. it's, if you were to, you got two people and they're going to eat the cake of the cake of the the the, the millennia right mm -hmm. and they have been trained their palates have been trained differently one of them has been eating uh meat and potatoes and the other person has been eating uh gourmet food the person that eats the gourmet food is going to appreciate that utopian cake more than the person that ate meat and potatoes the funny thing is the person that that had all of the gourmet food in the in the world that we live in today gourmet food is hardship mm. it is divorce it is you know catastrophic loss it is living under you know a bridge it is because when we are born here on this planet you and i are set into a set of circumstances with a predisposition biologically and with a set of uh, environmental factors such as parents etc that will greatly determine the entire course of our lives so i'm plunked here in the united states with my mom and dad and person b is plunked in ethiopia and has to watch five of her six children starve to death and there's no difference between that person and me other than god put them over there and he put me over here or conversely uh god might have given me theoretically an extra dose of intelligence right mm -hmm. and there might be person b over here with down syndrome right and when we pass all of those physical inhibitions or blessings will be stripped away and the purity of what god created absent those environmental factors physiological factors and circumstances in that world that person with down syndrome could be way way beyond me mm -hmm. right in their ability to love and and be a good companion for the connected connectiveness including the creator and am i being weird here or does that all make no sense? but it makes me think of I, I think in our in our culture for sure or maybe just in the world at large we've defined certain gifts as better than others for example we prize intelligence over the ability to be loving and kind yes but maybe in the next realm those are seen as equal gifts i don't think there'll be gifts at all i don't think in the next universe that my intelligence will be any greater or less than any other person i think that's a physiological factor that mm -hmm. affects my consciousness here um while i'm here but as I move, then all of the physiological factors that differentiate me will fall away. And what will be left is the essence of what I did with them. So if yeah. I didn't do anything with those gifts, then they were empty gifts. It's kind of like the, in the Bible, you know, when, when uh, the, who was it gave 
you know, three different people money, right? Oh, the parable of t- the talents. Yeah. What do you do with it? You know, what did you do with what you were given? Mm-hmm. So what you were given has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. The talent is that's what God gave you. My intelligence, I didn't make myself intelligent, right? Mm-hmm. That ability, that raw ability. Now, I might have worked to try to develop a, a, a gift that I was given harder than somebody else or not as hard as somebody else. But the, the actual, you know, when I, if I walk into a room and there's a, a person with a mental disability there, my first thought is that, you know, uh, well, A, I'm thankful, right? Because I, I, I can appreciate how much more difficult their life is than mine. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful that I didn't have to go through that. But the flip side is I know that there's literally in the, the next life that there's a very strong possibility that they will be, I don't want to say, again, I don't want to believe in hierarchies. I'm just saying that, that they are filtering information in through their receptors as they were God-given. Mm-hmm. That might translate into something I can't comprehend in the next universe that is its own special blessing. Right. And and I think that's kind of ultimately where I was going. So it's not just the gift that we have, it's the work that we put it to. It's, it's the taking the five talents and turning them into 10 or two or whatever. Um, It's, it's what we do with the gift. So the person with intelligence, let's say they find a way to make other people's lives around them easier with an intelligence that they've figured something out, like, you know, tons of inventions that have made our lives easier that may um, they may receive a reward for using, receive a reward or just enjoy the next stage of our existence as a result of having put that gift to use. Whereas the person, let's say with down syndrome, um, they, they put their gifts to use by loving people around them. So that will, and I'm kind of thinking of it like, like artwork. So when you um, think of artwork, like let's just say it's a drawing, you know, if it's just a flat uh, drawing, you know, it might be interesting, but when you begin to shade it and put dimension to it, that, you know, that sometimes can really, that, that can be the wow factor. So if, as we use intelligence or love or kindness or, you know, community building, all these different gifts that we have, that's what adds the dimension to our life here. But I think it might, tra- and we're all just speculating, like seriously, I don't know anybody who's come back from, you know, being dead for any, you know, more than just a few minutes. In fact, I don't know anybody that's come back to life, but I've heard stories of people that have come back to life after having been dead for a few minutes and they have, you know, stories to tell about what it was like, but nothing that's extended enough to say, this is what the next stage looks like folks. (laughs) So we're all kind of speculating, but I have, I, I just finished the book that I listened to um, after uh, the one that I mentioned, Physics of God. Imagine Heaven goes through uh-huh. a bunch of uh, afterlife experiences. But the most, the one that I uh, reflect on is my hairdresser had a, a he, he died. He was in a bike wreck and uh-huh. he died and um, <clears throat> he knew he had to come back. Um, 
for his wife for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And um, he didn't want to. He did not want to, but he knew he had to, right? He just, yeah. he, he felt the commitment and that, that she was not going to be okay without him. But, you know, his, you know, interpretation is that the, 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 the overwhelming love, you know, he did not want to leave that and yeah. the overwhelming acceptance that he felt. And that's why I kind of wanted to get back to this point of like, you know, high on Heinz feet, you know, you got your crown in heaven, but I don't think that in, I think that this idea that we have here where we have a crown or don't have a crown or that we have a reward or we don't have a reward or that we were successful or that we weren't successful. I think that that is, is essentially uh, dirt that washes away on the shower floor. I'm not even going to call it an outer layer of skin. I'm going to call it so uh, superficial that it's literally like a dirt on us and that it washes away and that, that the existence that we would like to imagine afterward is literally beyond our comprehension. And I think that's why when yeah. people do have an, an afterlife experience and come back, all they can say is that the love and acceptance was overwhelming. And I think that that is the, that is the, um, here on this planet, we are all essentially separate, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we have connections with people, but we are still separate. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that the connectivity that, that can exist beyond this is, uh, is amazing. And I guess what I'm trying to say is this existence that we're in, I think, is very simplistic very uh, individualistic and um, therefore very hierarchical and materialistic Mm -hmm. Um, because that is how we define ourselves. That's how we define success. That is the culture that we grow up in, um, at least here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to say is that I don't think that any of that is going to matter afterwards. Yeah. But yeah. when we try to define what the afterlife will look like, all we can do is define happiness there like we think it would be here. And I think that we are like the dog in the front yard with a wound. <laughs> we cannot comprehend what we don't understand. But when those people here have a glimpse of that, all they can say is that it's utter love and peace Mm -hmm. okay now how many people have you known in your entire lifetime that have told you without that that they had more than a moment of utter love and peace in their life without faith no doesn't happen no and and as i'm hearing you it sounds like that the essence of this chapter with the title faith as a tool is you're encouraging girls without a daddy to tap into that love and acceptance because that yes and, and i mean yes because when we move on it will surround us here on this planet, you can get glimpses of it through what I'm going to call meditative thought, which I also call prayer. 
-hmm. and you interact with your vision of perfection so that you can shed the things you can move from instead feeling like you have to have body armor that reflects off these negative things instead you if the body armor is love mm -hmm. that is reflecting off of you because you don't need to feel good about yourself based on what that person is saying to you yeah I knew I was excited about this chapter. This is good. This is really good. It, I could talk forever about this because I still have, you know, I, I told you that I had um, this book, Physics of God, throughout my life. I have thrown myself consistently toward a loving God since I was, I'm going to say nine years old. And that mm -hmm. was when my mom married my stepfather. And I have actually found a diary from that time frame. And I was shocked, Melody, when I read it, the venom in it. I mm. wrote horrible things about my stepfather. Mm. I could not believe that I even had that much hatred in my body. But that was also uh, the same time that for whatever reason, I cracked out my children's Bible on my own. Well, mm. you know what, it was also because we were introduced into the Catholic Church. And, you know, even though that did not go well, I never let go of the reading of the Bible. And, and I needed to believe that there was good. I needed that. My brain could not, you know, accept it. And so, you know, surely somebody outside could say, well, then that's her coping mechanism. If this is a coping mechanism, I love it. Yeah. It's better than oxycodone. So, you know what? Uh, <laughs> or a bottle of gin, huh? Well, well, gin, forget that. I don't need a hangover, but yeah, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no hangover with prayer. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying that that if I I had to have something, and for me, and maybe it was just the fortuitous, you know, the fortuitous of my stepfather wanting to be in the Catholic Church. You know, that would be just like a all-knowing, all-powerful, or creator. Let's say hey, I'm going to use this opportunity. I see he's going to go try to, you know, get married in the Catholic church. We all know that's not going to happen because man ain't going to let that happen. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? I could still reach Cindy this way and give her something that can help her survive. And so I'm going to use this time in Cindy's life to help her know me because I don't think she's going to survive if I don't do it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, even though the nuns drug me and my sister, I mean, seriously, I can still remember I had to run to keep up with this woman. She had on a habit. Her robes were flying in my face. I couldn't even see where I was going. She was so mad at my <laughs> sister. So mad. Only my sister could get people that mad. And Ripped us, burst into the room. My mom and my stepfather look up and the priest looks up and she yanks us forward in front of her violently. I mean, I just remember being yanked forward and she said, don't ever bring them back. And she walked out of the room, slammed the door and left. That was the last time we went to the Catholic wow. church. I mean, I was just like, holy crap. But 
you know. <laughs> Think of the words you're using, standing there in front of the priest, in your mind. Holy crap. <laughs> I, know, I know. Well, and that's why when I saw the nuns at the horse show, uh, well, you don't know the nuns. I, I kind of have been infiltrated you in my mind because we spent so much time talking into my horse world. And uh, the nuns, you know, when they joined our barn, because that's partly how they make money is to breed these miniature horses and they sell them. Uh, wonderful, amazing women. But when I first saw them walking through, I like dodged down a different aisle. I was like, oh my gosh, nuns, right? Little and Cindy, I'm, you were right in the moment, little Cindy going, they're not yes. coming near me. <laughs> I was nine years old. I mean, was I 45 or nine? I don't know, but <laughs> I hurried down an aisle. I felt like a nine-year-old. And, you know, they've been one of, one a huge blessing in my life. I mean, I, I've asked mother for advice on some pretty critical stuff and her wisdom is profound. And this is a woman that has spent her entire life in a monastery. The depth and profound wisdom. Like, I feel like for most of my friends, I'm, you know, they, you know, but like when I compare myself to her, I feel like a child. And she's a human being on this planet who lived her life in a monastery. Now you tell me how that happens. In this monastery, they don't talk unless they need to. They have a half hour a day at dinner, they're allowed to talk. They don't do wow. idle gossip. I'm just saying that doesn't happen by accident. That woman is literally, in my opinion, touched by a goodness beyond my comprehension. I want wow. to be like her. Ideally, I would like to be like her now. Am I willing to really put up what it takes to get to be like that? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I admire her so much, though. Anyway, my point is, for girls without daddies, fake it till you make it. Because if you fake it, if you, if, you, if you start praying through faith, which is just an active belief, I will be shocked if a year or two from now you don't have a relationship with the creator. I can't, I can't see that not happening if you truly, truly are trying to find, find that shield of love that fills you up. It's there. I think that that sounds, that sounds hopeful, not having a, a loving, supportive father, and then not having emotional maturity to face all the things that we do as adults, it can be pretty scary. And, and lonely. It, yes. And lonely. How yeah. lonely would it be if you didn't have that? How desperate would your life seem? And how much harder would it be every time somebody cuts you with their words? Mm -hmm. No one else understands. No one yeah. can really understand. But when you can just stop and, and and drop to your knees and say, man, I, my heart hurts right now. What they, they just said to me just cuts to my soul. Am I being insecure? Have they touched on something in me? Why am I reacting so strongly to the words of another human being? Mm -hmm. what, what, is, what is happening? Are they just having a bad day? Are you trying to teach me a lesson? Is there something that I can learn from this? Or is this just a situation where I reciprocate with love, but still stand up for myself? And that I think that's the hard part for girls without daddies is when can you stand up for yourself? And here's the thing, when you know a loving father, that's when you can give yourself permission to turn around to the old man in line behind you at the post office and say, you just need to be quiet. You're being mean to me and I'm not going to let you do it. 
You want to talk to me? Let's talk. You want to bark at me? Not going to happen. Because I have a father over here that won't let it. My example on that, I, I, this is somewhere in the book. I had a boss. I went to work at Payless. I was a 16-year-old. I looked like I was 13, standing in. They had me working in customer service. Lady comes up. She was being mean. I just assumed the customer's always right. She was tearing. She was swearing at me. She was talking. She was mean. And he was the manager of the store. So now this would be kind of like a Fred Meyer as an example or a, a Walmart really a manager of a Walmart. He walked in and he looked at, he saw what was happening and he walked in and he looked at that woman and he said, excuse me. And she stopped and he looked at her and he said, we don't want your business here. Get out of my store. And I was like, holy cow, that is not where I saw that going. And he, she walked away and he turned around and he looked at me and he got his finger in my face. And he said, don't you ever let anyone talk to you like that again. Did you okay. feel protected? I felt worthy. And I also was embarrassed because he pointed out to me that I let her do that to me. And there was no reason for that. No reason for another human being to be mean to me like that, for me to stand there and take it. Now, if I want to, right? Like right now, if somebody is, is you know, ripping me a new one and I know why they're doing it. And, you know, I, at this point in my life, I would just listen. And then when they got done, I would resume, right? Because mm -hmm. I don't care what they think. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example of what I did yesterday. Right or wrong, judge me. I'm cool with that. And I'm going to go ahead and use the bank's name, Chase Bank. Banked with them forever with my credit cards, right? Mm -hmm. But ever since this pandemic hit, they're, they're camping on the COVID excuse. I have submitted a dispute over and over and over. I have called them. This happened in May, and I still don't have a resolution. And so finally, I called yesterday, and I decided, okay, I guess I'm going to have to get my BITCH on to get anywhere. <laughs> now, I really don't like doing that. And but yet I I am tired of wasting my time. I have spent an accumulation of ten hours on this thing. I get the, the gal on the phone, well, you, in order to do that dispute now, you're going to have to put a letter in the mail or fax it. And I said, that is not happening. And she said, well, that's the only way it happens. I said, then you need to get me a supervisor. They get me a supervisor and he tells me that. And I said, listen, here's the thing. I own an IT company. If you think I'm going to, in a pandemic, go buy a stamp and put a letter in the mailbox, you are out of your mind. And nobody uses fax machines anymore. So the, the dispute, and you're going to laugh because it's the principle of the thing. It was $105. So the guy says to me, well, you know, apparently they have a policy where when you just get bitchy enough, they'll give you a hundred bucks. <laughs> so I'm sharing this with the world. If you're unhappy with Chase Bank, their resolution is they just give you a hundred bucks. And I said to him, it's $105. And he said, I can't do anything about that. And I said, you can and you will. It's 100. I mean, I was resolute. And he goes, just give me a minute. This is the supervisor. He comes back and he says, listen, I can give you the $100 now. I can go ahead and I'm going to get back on this tomorrow. I'm going to give you the $5. I'm going to get it approved. I'm going to give you my phone number so you can call me directly. And when he did that, I said to him, tell me your name. And he didn't want to because he thought I was still. <laughs> You're, he's in trouble now. He said, my name is Frank. And I said, Frank, I would like to thank you for finally 
caring about me as a customer and I will take the $100. I really don't care about the $5. And I'll tell you one other thing. I sure hope that this interaction with me today doesn't ruin your day because I certainly don't like to have to defend myself like this. But what you guys have done to me so far, the time of mine that you have wasted, it has irritated me greatly. And I'm happy to have finally found somebody in Chase that seems to care about me as a customer. I want to thank you for that. And I want to make sure that the rest of your day is a pleasant one. He was overwhelmingly appreciative of that. But my point is, sometimes you have to get your bitch on to get what you deserve. And sometimes you get what you deserve and you don't really want what you deserve. Yeah. yeah. But my point is that until you feel good enough about yourself to do and I'm not saying that I want everybody to go do that I'm just saying believe in yourself and your worthiness and to do that have a meditative relationship with someone that is perfect and can help you get to a level where when you're doing that you're being a good human being that really truly is just standing up for what is right that you're not going for blood or you're not trying to humiliate another person or take them down. And that's not the point. I guess the, the, the conclusion I would draw is you know, going back to the chapter, faith is a tool allows you to shield yourself with love. If you, t- if you tap into the love of the creator, yeah. no, there's no depth. There's no, I mean, there's no limit to the love of the creator. If you tap into that, you'll be able to face the challenges with love. However, love does not mean you will take it on the chin or whatever, you know, that you will allow people to run right over you. Facing challenges with love does not mean becoming a doormat. Exactly. And, And the reason that that's important is because when you're a doormat, when you're in this three dimensional world of limited comprehension, People see a doormat, somebody as a doormat, and they will wipe their feet on you. Because what else are you supposed to do with the doormat? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, but like in, in, in the next phase for us, that won't be the case. So yeah. you still want to develop that skill, but the skill of love and the, the shield of love, you don't have to, even though you can see where the other person is coming from, you know, and I, I go back to the old man in the post office only because it's an example that hopefully people can remember. For some reason, this guy goes off on me. He's in a hurry. It has nothing to do with me. And he's being really mean. And I just told him you need to be quiet. But I didn't say that. But that's what I wanted to say was, listen, turd, just shut up. But my point is that even though I could see that he was frustrated, that he was in a hurry, and that my problems were in his way, and it really didn't have anything to do with me, I didn't just turn around and take it. I just looked at him and said, please, you need to just be quiet. Because that was a kind way to say, you're being mean, right? You don't don't have a right to be mean to another human being, even, even me, even though I'm a nice, loving person. No, I'm not going to allow it. And I don't. If somebody's rude to me, I will say, like, I had an email from an employee the other day, and I felt like they were lecturing me. And I, I hit, you know, reply, and I said, feel like you're lecturing me, and it, uh, it's, it doesn't feel good, right? Yeah. And 
And when I talked to the employee about it, I just, you know, I just said, you know, hey, I'm just going to call a spade a spade. Uh, I don't, I, I try not to send emails like that to you. And I, I really would like it if you could spend a few extra minutes because your message is getting lost in the lecture. And, uh, and, and they just had a quick moment. It didn't mean anything. But my point is, if I had just not said anything, I think that would have continued to become an increasing pattern. It's better when things first catch you off guard where you just say not, hey, dude, knock it off, that's mean. You just say, uh, maybe I misunderstood what you were saying, um, but this is what I heard. And, and then if they clarify and it's okay, and if, if they clarify and that is what they meant, then you're like, I'm not cool with that. You, yeah. you, you're being disrespectful to me and I need you to be respectful. And that's it. That's the end of the discussion. You, there is no comeback for somebody. When you say you're being rude to me and I need you to be respectful, there is nothing they can say. Oh, that isn't rude. If they say that isn't rude, you smile and you turn around and you walk away. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. at that point, you realize you're preaching to somebody that is not in church. They're never going to get it. Yeah. Right? There, You don't, that's a person that you just need to kind of slowly move out of your life permanently um unless it's a child your child and then they're going through a phase in which they say, <laughs> i'm going to give you i'm going to give you half a day to think about that and when we talk next i'll expect an apology or something like yeah, that yeah you're giving them room for growth because that's the role that you play in their life is to help exactly. them grow yeah but you know i was thinking about um the levels of emotional maturity and who is more likely to play the victim than a girl without a daddy. I mean, that's, you know, that's basic, um, you know, uh, emotional immaturity. And that's what we do as girls without daddies. We go right into victim mode and we start complaining about it. So in using faith as a tool and tapping into this love and acceptance in dimensions we can't even understand in this current world and the current space that we're in, we're able to tap into that emotional maturity you know we can grow into that we have the power to grow into that to where we're at you know level three and level four which it sounds like you just described so that's emotional openness and beginning to share your feelings hey i didn't like the way you talked to me yeah and that emotional assertiveness i'd like you to stop and this is how i want you to respond to me in the future yeah yeah and so, it, you know and it's that easy yeah. is the thing but the problem is it's a it's a pattern of behavior that is hard to adopt when you don't feel whole yes and the wholeness can come from this relationship with the creator which starts out as a leap of faith through meditative prayer with someone that you maybe don't know for sure is there or not yeah. Uh, and and it, it and here's the thing is the interesting thing I think about faith is you you can't have your faith confirmed until you have faith. Yeah. And so until you are willing to believe, you can't believe, but you have to believe without knowing to even get started down the pathway. Faith, by definition, is believing in the absence of proof. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, for me, 
it starts as faith. And then if my eyes are open, there is the proof abounds. Mm -hmm. And so the more you do it, the less faith is required because the evidence is there. In sometimes, like I said, I have laughed and, and smiled and rejoiced at times when I see how God's plan for certain things was different than mine. So much so now to the point, Melody, and this is a relatively new thing, like in the last two months, when I pray now, I start by saying what I want. Mm -hmm. And then I end by saying, let your will be done. Yeah. And for me, that is huge because as yeah. a girl without a daddy, my control needs are high because my faith, <laughs> my faith yeah. is, has not been as high. And yeah. so then when I see somebody doing something that I'll give you two examples. So right now I have a friend who just had a massive 10 inch scar put across her back for a possible melanoma. Uh, I saw the scar last night. It, it is, we, we were giving her ideas. I said, I think the shark bite, she was like, no, I think a guy with a knife is a better one. You know, <laughs> she's in that phase of waiting seven to 14 days to find out if she's going to have chemo and radiation and everything. I mean, uh, I've had spots taken off everybody. Once you get at least 40, start going to the dermatologist once a year without fail. Mm. definitely go, 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 go. Cause you don't get to the point where you have a 10 inch scar. If you're going, usually if you're going regularly. Okay. And it's mm -hmm. hard to spot these things. But my point is when I pray for her, you know, I, of course I want to pray that it's not going to be cancer. Of course I want her to heal quickly. Of course, this is what I want for her. And I ask for that. Right. But when I finish now, a lot of times I will say your will be done because mm -hmm. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. And I believe in, and I say he, it, whatever. Yeah. I believe enough at this point in his plan being better that I am willing to let go. Now, if it were my son, yeah. Would I do that? Hell no. Right. So then I go back with her and I'm like, okay, no, no, I really want you to heal her. <laughs> and, and that's the relationship that I have with God where he understands and I don't have pretenses because when I pray, it's like you and I both know this is what I want. Yeah. You know, that's what I want. And I, I don't know if that's what you want, but you know, that's what I want. And you know, that's what I'm going to pray for. But at the same time, I understand I might not get it. I don't like it. I don't want it to be that way. I want this person. She's an angel. I want her to be okay. And, and truly in my heart, I think she is going to be okay. Elderly also. So, you know, not, but the other example I was going to give you, which is, you know, I will see, I, I could pick a politician, but I don't want to politicize this. I, I'm just flabbergasted at what's happening in the world today. 
I am a firm believer that the truth always prevails. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, with these people that are out there right now slandering, that are politicking at our expense, you know, all I can say is your will be done. I don't wish ill on anybody, but I'm just like, I, so what I have taken to saying instead of like uh, feeling animosity, I pray for blessings upon that person. And my way of blessings upon that person means whatever is going on with them, I hope that you work through that with them in a way where they can grow. Mm -hmm. And if this is a, a harsh, the harsh path where they fall on their face and, and, and learn that lesson, then blessings upon them while that happens. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, and I don't think, well, it's like if our kids come to us and say, mom, I want this. And we don't necessarily expect them to say, but your will be done, you know, or it's some version of that. We yeah. know they want what they want and what we're going to do, what's best for them. And as much as possible, you know, try to give them what they want, you know, with, without spoiling them and, and making them spoiled brat. If we know we're dealing with our creator as with this depth and breadth of love and acceptance, that whatever decision, you know, that we're just going to have to learn to understand it or, or whatever, but, it, but it's going to be good. I'll just, I want to make one more point about society today. If you reflect upon the way that we were raised in our parents, uh, us less so than our parents. You know, they were raised in a household where what the father said was law, right? Mm -hmm. And they accepted that. So that's faith, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they grew up kind of predisposed to being faithful in that they accept the will mm -hmm. of the power. Then you move into our generation, which is largely the same. So, you know, uh, a little bit less so. But then you move into the next generation, the ones that you and I raised. Mm -hmm. So we were at the end of not feeling power over our childhood, right? Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to instill that into our children. So mm -hmm. where our parents made dinner and we ate it, and if we didn't, then you didn't eat dinner, we would say, where do you want to go for dinner tonight? Or what do you want for dinner tonight? And how many households nowadays make multiple foods because one child doesn't like what the other one has mm -hmm. and uh, how much more when there's a broken home there's a single mother there's not that balance of the man and the woman the adult needs so the mother's like sure whatever you want for dinner so all of a sudden the kids are choosing dinner every night mm -hmm. and where do you want to go well I don't have any of my own needs so yes if you want me to go sit at the pool and watch you and your kids play that night I will do that uh, versus no your dad and I it's date night and you can't go you have to stay home they don't have that balance mm -hmm. of having structure and and basically deference to the needs of others out of respect or that they have a greater knowledge than they do so how much less so is this next generation how much more do they struggle being faithful because mm -hmm. they have never been taught deferential respect mm -hmm. and belief that someone else has more knowledge about what would be the better outcome. So I think that when we look at why society right now in the United States is just, I'm going to say eroded a little bit in that sense, I think that it's the, the degradation of the family unit 
and the lack of balance and respect between two adults in a home that has led the children that are now the young adults in the world to expect everything to be the way that they, in the United States, the way that they think it should be. Mm -hmm. Tonight, I want to have spaghetti for dinner. Therefore, we should all have spaghetti for dinner. Well, there's no spaghetti. What do you mean there's no spaghetti? I want spaghetti. Spaghetti, mm -hmm. spaghetti, spaghetti. I'm going to throw a brick through this window in, uh, and, and, and paint graffiti all over because I'm not getting what I want right now. Now, granted, that's Antiva. That's a whole different conversation. But you get my point. Yeah. They don't. There's no respect, period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that um, sounds like it could be another chapter. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if I rewrote this book now, it would be much longer. Well, and there is, I'm sure there's a potential for additional books or other resources. It doesn't all have to be book form. That's why we podcast. Um, I think we have talked through this quite a bit and let's just go ahead and and just tie this up with a bow maybe say again what we've already kind of been saying for the last few minutes that final you know faith is a tool succinctly in a sentence or two this is where we started what are we leaving the reader with fake it till you make it i know that doesn't sound like what you probably were expecting from me if you don't have faith as a tool you, you have to start by having faith and then eventually you don't need as much faith because the reality will present itself to you. But until you have faith, you will not have a relationship. It has to start with you believing without seeing. I think that's a great wrap up because what's on the other side of that step, as you and I know, and other people know, there's a depth of love and acceptance in new dimensions that we can all tap into. Absolutely. It's just the beginning of a fascinating and joyous journey that will never disappoint. Never yeah. disappoint. I feel like that's a great place to end on a note of hopefulness. You have been listening to a conversation with Cindy McPike, author of Girls Without Daddies, Filling the Void of a Fatherless Childhood. This life-changing book is available at Amazon.com in paperback or Kindle version. To invite Cindy for podcast interviews or speaking opportunities, visit girlswithoutdaddies.com. Tune in next week for another emotional transformation conversation.